Money Talk is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation. Welcome to Money Talk, the longest-running weekly personal finance radio show in Wisconsin. Annex Wealth Management is a proud member of the Barron's Top Advisor List and the Financial Times Top 300 List know the difference now here are your hosts dave spano and mark oswald and we're on the air for saturday august 17th this is money talk annex wealth management i'm danny clayton good morning mark oswald good morning derek felsky good morning good morning danny david j spano how are you well we're all here and we're all getting together danny it's good last week i was in the mountains the jagged peaks of montana this week the jagged peaks of Wall Street. That's so let's, right. let's talk about that week in review. Yeah, so we, we're putting everyone together here because we love you, Mark, and uh, we're concerned about you. Intervention. Well, I thought it was that's an intervention. No. Here's, inversion. Inversion, that's a different Totally thing. different well, word. I thought, we were, I thought we were going down a different path there for a minute. <laughs> exactly. Inversion, that was the word of the week. And what we're going to have to do is explain to everybody what it is, why it's significant, and why the market cared so much about it. We had the worst day of the year this week when the yield curve inverted. What does that mean, Derek Felsky? Well, what it basically means is that the two-year note yield rose above the 10-year note yield, which is the first time that's happened to 2007. And the reason it concerns investors is that every recession we've had, the last five in particular, have been accompanied by an inversion of the yield curve. However, I want to point out that there have been several times when the yield curve has inverted and there hasn't been a recession. So it doesn't necessarily make it baked in the cake, but it certainly suggests to some that the risk of recession has risen to a degree. So let's talk about that for a second, Mark. We went back and we did some work and uh, over the, of the last five times this happened and it was connected to a recession right. there was a couple of laps around the track before that actually happened and, and, and what i mean by that is even though this happened and a recession followed it was not connected immediately not immediately and i think that's really the important takeaway is if you watch nbc or you read some publications and you see this the drama of an inverted yield curve and its attachment to a recession you start to think well i better start making changes in my portfolio and i better start maybe going to cash or buying all gold or or or, or reckless things people do from time to time and when we look at it statistically when we did the work dave as you pointed out the recession, in average, comes 15 to 22 months after the inversion of the yield curve. So, as you're pointing out, you've got some time yet. It doesn't mean just put your head in the sand, right, guys? I mean, you should well, be being tactical right well, now. But let's let's be clear about that. This inversion, even though it was short, yep. does not pretend that we're going to have a recession and does not mean that you need to make any moves at all. Let's talk about why we think it inverted for a moment, Derek. We think it inverted for a couple of reasons. One, one, you know, we saw this week Germany had its first negative uh, quarter of GDP growth since the financial crisis. German rates are actually negative across their yield curve. And so if you think about it from the perspective so of every single one of their yield, yields are negative. That's right. So basically, you're going to pay the German government to hold your money. Hmm. And at expiration, you will get back less than you uh, invested to begin with. And that's put downward pressure on the longer end of our yield curve. And at the same time, while the Fed cut rates at the end of July, rates on the long end have actually decline more, which is why we've inverted. So the short rates have come down a little, long rates have come down that much more, and that essentially is causing many to feel the Fed needs to cut short-term rates in the near term. 
they haven't cut quick enough. And, right. and what's happening is there's capital flight. We have been talking about this for nearly two or three months now, that there's capital flight away from Europe in particular to the United States because you say either I can get a negative 70 basis points from if you're a German citizen or I can send the money to the United States. And even at 1.5%, that's certainly a whole lot better. So that buying pressure is pushing rates down in the long term. That's exactly right, Dave, because you've got this race to the bottom. You've got world banks around the world, the ECB, the Bank of Japan, the Bank of China, that are pushing their rates down faster than the U.S. is pushing its rates down. And so we become, there is no alternative. If you're going to have money go someplace, it's going into U.S. bonds right now. So you're creating demand, which drives the price up and drives that yield down. And Derek, you know, we have seen recessions and we have seen this yield curve is kind of a marker, but recessions generally happen for a number of reasons. One of them could be a policy mistake, and there's a number of them that actually could happen right here. Yeah, sure. A bungling the trade negotiations could certainly cause uh, economic uncertainty across the globe, which would cause many people to perhaps uh, hold off on purchases. For example, we saw that in Deere's report on Friday. They missed the quarter, they lowered guidance, and basically what they said is, Farmers have been hesitant to buy equipment pending the outcome of these trade deals, and that's negatively impacting the fundamentals of that particular company. So quite a ride for the week, guys, and I think the perspective is important here. When you think about what happened on Monday, big numbers down, obviously, and then we had you know some more news and, and tariff talk and everything that goes with that. But at the end of the day, Derek, net was about 1% down on the S&P 500, right? And we remain about 4% from the all-time high. It was down 1%, but the breadth of the, the decline really hasn't been reflected in the S&P 500, where we've really seen the weaknesses in small cap stocks and overseas markets. Uh, the one thing I would point out to, though, is with interest rates moving lower and equity earnings remaining flat, the risk premium on equities is at a very attractive level relative to fixed income. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer at Annex Wealth Management. It's 1013. This is W. WTMJ. This is Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, our website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. We'll begin the process for their free portfolio analysis. Don't have to be a client for it. Um, it's good to look things over. And if this uh, market turmoil this last week or so uh, has kind of kept you up at night, it's a great exercise. Go to AnnexWealth.com, click that Get Started button, and we'll get you going. A Barron's top advisor, a member of the Financial Times Top 300, and a Journal Sentinel Top Workplace. Know the difference. This is Money Talk on WTMJ. Saturday, August 17th, this is Money Talk. Locations for Annex Wealth Management, Elm Grove, Mequon, Lake Country, Appleton. We're downtown inside the Fister. If you can hear us, but it's not real convenient to meet with us at one of our branches, you can use Annex everywhere. It's just that easy. You know, this inversion of the yield curve that we talked about does not mean that a recession is imminent. And you talk about some economic numbers that are actually very positive that makes us think that there's still some opportunities in front of us. Mark, can you talk about a number of things that economic signposts that are really very good? So you want to look at employment. And we've been talking about employment on the show since 2008 for sure when those numbers were double digit. And you look at employment in the United States now at 3.7, 3.6%. That's a healthy number. 
you look at inflation, real inflation, about one and a half, maybe two percent. And so you don't have runaway inflation either. So you look at consumer spending, consumer confidence, look at retail sales. All those things would be things that you would look at right now to say, is the economy nearing a recession? GDP, certainly. And when we have positive prints on GDP, you're pretty far away from a recession yet, right, Derek? Well, yeah, I mean, that retail sales comment you made, um, you know, we saw that, you know, Kohl's and Nordstrom are struggling, but other retailers like Walmart are doing very well. In fact, that retail sales number caused the Atlanta Fed to raise their third quarter GDP estimate by half a percent up to about two and a half, which is well above consensus. Uh, the other number we saw on Friday morning that I think is even more significant than any of those because it's more forward looking is we saw a disappointing number in housing starts, but we saw a much better than expected number on building permits, which is future, future building. And essentially, with these lower rates and strong incomes, housing affordability is getting better and better. And the housing market has a very large impact on the economy, not just directly, but indirectly through the purchases of appliances, landscaping services, and the like. And you talk about the confidence of the consumer. Again, that Walmart number was really, really mm-hmm. good. We talked about lower interest rates. And another stimulus that is the economy has given us, Mark, is oil. For sure. When you look at the price of oil coming down around $50 a barrel, that is reflected in the gas pump, of course. And when you have lower gas prices, it's like a tax cut. I mean, it's like anything else. You're getting more money in your pocket because you're spending less to drive to work or do you know the daily living that you do. And when you're spending less on gas, you're hopefully spending that money someplace else. It becomes discretionary income. So do you go out one more time a month? Or do you put money into a new TV? Get big retailers coming out next week, Derek. He got Home Depot and Lowe's. And these are going to be important numbers because it's going to really reflect consumer spending. As we always talk about on this show, 70% of GDP in the United States is consumer spending. That's right. Uh, so basically, we have a, a fairly strong economy. It is slowing, but it's still certainly much stronger than we're seeing around the rest of the globe. And at the same time, you know, we've got valuations now that are more attractive in equities relative to fixed income. So basically, what we did this week with our portfolios is we actually spent the remaining cash we had in our equity income strategy. We added to a REIT position. We bought a, a very undervalued pharmaceutical company. And in our models, a similar activities, we basically have been dialing down our cash positions and increasing our bet on equities. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, where the opportunity sets are, but a conversation you and I often have is about management of risk. And that is as much our job as it is to uh, provide opportunities. And talk about a little bit about what we're doing when it comes to uh, risk management in portfolios. Well, one of my favorite indicators is a thing called the fear and greed index. And, and when that thing gets north of 70, um, it, it makes me want to dial down risk somewhat or certainly postpone aggressive purchases. On the flip side, when it gets below 20, which it did on Wednesday, that's an opportunity to add risk. And basically, the fear and greed index looks at a variety of different market inputs. It looks at the technical p- patterns. It looks at put calls. In other words, how negative are traders in the short term? It looks at liquidity. It looks at, at spreads, high yield spreads versus uh, treasuries, which again suggests uh, as a contrarian that perhaps you want to fade that short term move. And the other thing I'd point out, too, is this bond rally has been extraordinary. Uh, the, the 30-year bond is trading over 5% above its 50-day average, which hardly ever happens. And historically, when that happens, equities outperform over the subsequent three to six months. And Mark, you know, when people talk about, you know, what kind of defense and risk management they have in their portfolio, a lot of people don't know what's the exercise they should go through. Well, risk tolerance is number one, is you got to know that what can you sleep at night? How do you feel about your portfolio? If you're anxious right now, or you've never done a risk 
risk tolerance questionnaire or it's been a while, it's a good time to do it because even in the run-up of the markets over the last 10 or even 11 years, you've had equities outpacing the bond market. So you have equities outpacing fixed income traditionally. So you can look at your portfolio as a whole and say, have I gotten out of whack? Has my equities grown faster than my fixed income to the point where I'm now exposed more to the stock market than I'm really comfortable being? That risk tolerance exercise that you can go through is really eye-opening for a lot of people. And sometimes you sit with your significant other and you go through it and it's the first time you're having a real conversation about your relationship with money and your feelings about risk and your goals and the things that you want to accomplish. If you haven't done that for a while, now would be a great time. Looking for a quick and easy way to pick up seven weekly insights that'll make you a smarter saver and investor? Sign up for Annex Wealth Management's Axiom. The Axiom is packed with useful information, great articles, and highlights from our radio shows. It's not complicated or filled with jargon and sales pitches. It's a tool for greater education and understanding of your finances. Sign up today at AnnexWealth.com slash Axiom and you're in. It's absolutely free and you don't have to be a client. The Axiom, A-X-I-O-M, from Annex Wealth Management. Team, technology, Trust AnnexWealth.com. The longest running weekly personal finance radio show in Wisconsin. This is Money Talk on WTMJ. No, the difference is team. Tech Trust Tom Parks heads up our 401k team at Annex. Welcome back, frequent flyer. You're on a lot. I love being here with you. Thanks for having me again. We've said this before. Solid benefits attract and retain employees. And who doesn't want that? Right. Who doesn't? And people are getting more and more discerning about this in today's economy. But I tell you, business owners, the CFOs, the HR professionals, they got their hands full. They're running companies. They're doing their regular job. So creating and maintaining a great 401k, it takes time. It takes expertise. That's what you and your team does. That's exactly right. So we work real hard with people who are responsible for the 401k plan, depending on whether it's HR, CFO, like you said, sometimes it's the business owner themselves. And we try to help them understand these are your responsibilities and then making sure that they're doing the things that they need to do because they've got other things that are usually at the top of their priority list, you know? Here's something that was a little complex and I needed your explanation on it. And I think the audience would enjoy it as well. So we know IRAs and we know Roth IRAs, but can a 401k be set up? as a Roth as well? Yeah. So this is something that we very much encourage people to do unless they have some very good reason not to. And usually there isn't one. So the cool thing about Roth 401ks is they behave very much like a Roth IRA. So there is an after-tax contribution that grows tax-free, provided you are 59 and a half and the account is at least five years old at the time of distribution. But the neat thing about Roth 401ks that is different from Roth IRAs is there's no income exclusion. So whereas a lot of people are unable to take advantage of a Roth IRA because of their income, that does not apply in the case of a 401k plan. So it's pretty slick. So what would you say is the percentage of plans that offer the 401k, both traditionally and as a Roth? It's growing. So initially, when this was introduced a long time ago, there was a sunset provision, and that eventually went away. The only plans that I come across these days that don't have Roth, it's because people haven't been paying attention and they just never got around to putting it in. So the the percentage of plans that do offer Roth is getting higher and higher all the time. And again, getting back to the business owners wanting to offer those great benefits, you can go to your employees and say, listen, we've got an above average 401k plan. We've- oh, you know what? I mean, this is the thing that we do. So like I said, we help the, the people who are responsible for the plan with their duties. But then our favorite thing is to go and talk to the employees and 
explain to them, hey, you've got this really cool benefit. Here's how you can use it. These are the different ways, whether you want to do pre-tax or Roth or some combination of the two. That is a big part of the service that we offer as part of our team. Tom Parks from our 401k team is here. He is our director of retirement plan services. So while I got you here, what is the latest on the SECURE Act? And before you answer, you got to tell us what is the SECURE Act? Oh, yes, indeed. So the SECURE Act is the setting every community up for retirement enhancement. It is a bill being pondered by Congress. I tell you, Danny, if these guys would spend half the time actually finding efficiencies in the federal budget as they do coming up with clever names for their bloated legislation, we'd all be in a lot better place. But the crazier part is this was bipartisan, right? They actually worked together on it. Yeah. So actually the SECURE Act went through uh, the House of Representatives, was very well received. It passed with very large bipartisan support. And then there's complementary language in the Senate, RESA, R-E-S-A, which has now been lagging. So there was a lot of enthusiasm. Everyone thought this was going to go because the two pieces of legislation were very, very similar to one another. Um, but now it is stalled in the Senate. So we're still hopeful that, that they're going to be able to come to a resolution on the two. And, and it sounds like regardless, as long as it's not something completely different, the president would sign what came out of the two houses. So, But, um, but at the essence, this there, is going to open up retirement plan services for smaller employees. That's what it is, right? Yeah. In effect, at a real high level, the idea of the legislation is to grant more access to retirement savings to all Americans. And one of the ways they want to do that is try to help those smaller employers who have those barriers to enter on 401k plans, open that up and make it easier for them. You know, they increase some tax credits. There's some flexibility on some other things, but the real focus is to make employer-sponsored 401k plans more easily accessed by small business. Well, I bet right now we've got tons of people that have those really small businesses, maybe five employees or less, and they still would like to do right with their employees. Yeah, for sure. So the the issue with the smaller plans is pricing because of uh, lower balances and everything is a a percentage of, of total assets. And when the assets are lower, that percentage gets a lot higher. This legislation would enable a lot of those smaller employers to come together and band band together to have more buying power. So it's a really great idea. You got to come back and uh, let us know when this gets official, huh? I hope I am here soon talking about that because it's a really exciting development for our country. Tom Parks, Director of Retirement Plan Services. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, website AnnexWealth.com. Our locations. Elm Grove, Mequon, Lake Country, Appleton. We're downtown inside the Fister, so if you work and live downtown, it's super easy to meet with us there. And if you can't meet with us at one of our physical locations, that's no problem. We have this thing called Annex Everywhere, which is really simple screen share technology. We have lots of clients that uh, are snowbirds or just like to travel. We check in with them all the time using Annex Everywhere. It's very, very easy. Again, you can go to AnnexWealth.com, click that Get Started button, especially if this last week has made Made you a little, um, a little less than um, uh, confident, you know, because there's some turbulence. Uh, get that free portfolio analysis again. AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Team Tech Trust Money Talk is straight talk from a local fee-only fiduciary. It's time to know the difference. This is Money Talk on WTMJ. Team Tech Trust, AnnexWealth.com is our website. Click that Get Started button. Get that free portfolio analysis. It's time for Ask Annex. If you have a question for us, you can go to our website at AnnexWealth.com. Look for that Ask button. You guys ready to roll? Let's go. Here we go. Number one is from Jason. What's a bigger threat, a mistake by the Fed or a loss in the trade war? Well, that's uh, that's interesting because neither one of them are good, Derek. No, they aren't. I guess if I had to answer that question, I'd be more concerned about a mistake by the Fed in the longer run. Uh, Trade mistakes can be corrected by one simple tweet. 
And by the way, the Fed has, I mean, I can make an argument that the Federal Reserve has been directly connected to the last several recessions by something they did. And again, we talked about this earlier in the show. You look at the five recessions and what the Fed was doing going into that, they were raising rates. That is an issue when, when you're headed into a slowing economy. I mean, the situation they face is, 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 is very problematic. You know, in, his last, in the last meeting, they talked about having to evaluate what the likely outcome of this trade dispute would be and how that was entering in their thinking. So in a sense, while the president continues to jawbone for low, lower rates, uh, the angst and the over-trade uncertainty is actually generating an environment that will cause the Fed to do exactly that and perhaps give the president leverage in his negotiations with the Chinese. Just one more point. Uh, yesterday, we were watching the call f- uh, after Walmart and they talked about, surprisingly to me, that two-thirds of the goods and services that Walmart sources are from the United States, and they said only 5% come from China. And if you're talking about a 10% tariff on 5%, you're talking about basis points. Ask Annex. Next one's from Nicholas. If you're overweight in certain sectors, is it time to get defensive considering the market? You know, I would have said that perhaps a month or two ago, but with the Treasury yield, the 10-year Treasury yield at about 1.54% or so, it's probably a little late to get into defenses. For example, financials are undoubtedly cheap. They traded a P.E. to growth rate of about 1.3 times, whereas the S&P is at two times. So that's a significant discount, whereas these defensive sectors like utilities and staples are very expensive, not just in absolute terms, but in relative terms, trading at 3.4 and 2.9 times respectively. So they are much more expensive than they typically are. And, and again, financials, I mean, you really, it's, they're going to have a tough go because of the fact that lower interest rates, there's not a lot of margins for financials at this point. No, there aren't because, you know, you're borrowing short and you're lending long and, and an inverted yield curve essentially can negatively impact credit creation to the point where you're only going to lend to the your highest quality borrowers. But it's our belief that ultimately the trade thing does get resolved in some fashion. The Fed reduces rates, which can uninvert the yield curve, if you will. And that could lead to a better environment for financial stocks down the road. And by the way, you know, we do have a presidential election next year. So I would assume that the guy sitting in the chair at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue is going to do everything he can not to have a recession in 2020. It's the lightning round. It's yeah, Ask Annex. I was going to say it's, it's defense for 400. Mark writes, are pharmaceutical stocks a good defensive spot? Well, as I mentioned earlier, we added a pharmaceutical stock to our equity income portfolio on, on Thursday. Uh, there has been a lot of concern about drug pricing and what's likely to become a, a football in the upcoming presidential election. So you really want to take a look on a company-by-company company basis and see which companies are actually charging egregious prices and could be harmed. Stephen writes, why are U.S. corporate profit expectations trending higher in light of the trade war with China? You know, Mark, it's, it's interesting. We, we kind of alluded to Walmart uh, to an, some extent, and, you, and we, we certainly talked about the issues that John Deere is having. But at the end of the day, when you talk about where the opportunity set is, there are companies who are selling more widgets. There are. And, and when you look at, like, Apple and companies like that that are selling different things, they're not just selling devices, they're selling services, there are companies that are making more money. And that's why we look talk about earnings on the show a lot, because we're looking at beats on the revenue side and then beats on the earnings side. The earnings number can sometimes be manipulated, but the revenues are the revenues. And when you're selling more stuff, that does lead to earnings growth. And that's what we've seen for the last few years. And I just want to add one thing there. You know, when we read headlines, we often assume, you know, an immediate cause and effect. So a tariff is announced, but, you know, that tariff hasn't been fully reflected in the prices that are being charged. And initially, those prices were absorbed by the company. So to basically make 
make these categoric statements that tariffs should therefore lead to lower earnings is really an overshoot. And one of the reasons why we caution all of our clients and uh, potential clients to avoid reacting to headlines and really do some deep down research. And by the way, you know, a lot of the media is certainly trying to make a story out of this because it turns into a political conversation. So it's not just, you know, three geeks talking about financial uh, information right now. It could get into a conversation where it is in more mainstream media and people are starting to talk about it. I think that's part of it. Certainly the market reactions that we saw this week, I thought were significantly overdone. Remember, we were up 20% year to date on the S&P 500 and other markets across the globe were up small or even negative. So we've had a bit of a cushion. We had a very strong rally and profit taking does occur, particularly during these months of lower liquidity in the summer. You know, guys, that's when I start thinking about all that, it, it takes me back to our investment committee and, and our philosophy about knowing what you own and why you own it. That free portfolio review, again, I know we talk about it a lot on the air, but right now, with everything that's going on, with going into an election year in 2020, and a Fed that's still maybe do, engaging in monetary easing, now would be a really good time to have that portfolio review. Looking for a quick and easy way to pick up seven weekly insights that'll make you a smarter saver and investor? Sign up for Annex Wealth Management's Axiom. The Axiom is packed with useful information, great articles, and highlights from our radio shows. It's not complicated or filled with jargon and sales pitches. It's a tool for greater education and understanding of your finances. Sign up today at AnnexWealth.com slash Axiom and you're in. It's absolutely free and you don't have to be a client. The Axiom, A-X-I-O-M, from Annex Wealth Management. Team, technology, Trust AnnexWealth.com. Planning and investment insight from a fee-only fiduciary. And we put that in writing. You're listening to Money Talk on WTMJ. Know the difference? It's Team Tech Trust. Deanne Phillips is part of the team at Annex. She is Director of Client Learning and Development. She's a CFP, CDFA. That's a Certified Divorce Financial Analyst. And welcome back. Thank you. Hi, Danny. This is a conversation about what's called the gray divorce. And how do you define that, Deanne? Well, that actually means when you split up or divorce after the age of 50. They call it gray for whatever reason. But as we both know, there are a few things more devastating than divorce, both emotionally and financially and Unfortunately, but when it happens to older people, there is potentially more of an impact on your retirement. In fact, divorce rates for people over 50 has more than doubled since 1990. And mm-hmm. you said it's harrowing. It's it's messy. So if you get divorced after 50, you expect your wealth to drop by 50 percent. Now, that's not a surprise. And it's more complex than that. It is. Uh, the economic impact can be really tough, especially if a couple is unaware of their financial picture and wh- what it'll look like after their assets are split. And, you know, sometimes, Danny, people are unaware of what their financial assets look like before they split, too, or while they're a happily married couple. But income after divorce needs to be addressed as well. This is all about the financial planning aspect. Now, perhaps the couple was counting on both Social Security payments, for example, to run one household. Now they might be looking at two checks running two households and each person receives only one payment to run their own household. That can definitely leave a threat to standard of living as well. So researchers have found that a divorced woman who's over the age of 50 could actually see a standard of living drop by 45 percent. And that's actually double the decline for younger divorced women. Now, people get divorced for a zillion different reasons. I I did see that one of the reasons couple divorce is what happens in 
retirement. Yeah, they hit retirement and they find incompatibility and they find conflict. Deanne, I know that during our destination retirement, are we there yet workshops, we really do encourage people to kind of walk through that discussion of expectations in retirement. Well, right, because if you think about it, a lot of households have both people in the married couple working. So really think about how much time you spend with your work family as opposed to your own family. We try to spend, you know, as much time as we can with our the family we choose, but we spend so much time at work that all of a sudden when they retire, they find themselves spending so much time together and they have to find this new compatibility because they really are different human beings. We, we've aged and we've got this experience and now it's all the time to hit all those hobbies and bucket lists and it's really important you have an open, honest discussion with your significant other and share your hopes and desires and dreams because we could be living a lot longer, hopefully, in retirement. That's right. We're talking about the gray divorce with Deanne Phillips. That's for people over 50 and it happens more and more. Deanne, once the dust is settled, or maybe it's still settling, anybody who's going through or gone through a divorce needs a solid financial plan. You said that earlier, but even more so for the gray divorces. That's very true. And that's, again, because of the the income hit as well as the cut in assets to draw from in retirement. But there are several things to look at. And, you know, this is true of any... Um, trauma that might happen to your financial plan, just understanding your financial plan and, and the vision, the cash flowing that happens, what your needs are, the budget. You know, if there's still a child in a household, obviously that budget has greater demands and your tax rate's going to change. So the effective time and date of the year of divorce is the date it's finalized. So for example, even if it's December 30th, you're divorced for that entire year. So you need to work with, you know, your planner and your accountant on your tax rate change. You know, catch up contributions in your 401k or 503b. If you're over the age of 50, you can actually put more away for your retirement. So it's important to look and say, what can I do to get more put away now for my future, which maybe closer to retirement than you were, you know, when you first got married. There's an impact on Social Security, which we covered. You need to redo that estate plan. You need to think about health insurance, how you're going to be covered. Daniel, a lot of times people come to us and their first question is, when can I retire? That answer might change. These are all financial planning questions that a planner can help you with. So, Deanne, you're a CDFA. That's a Certified Divorce Financial Analyst. What have you learned over the years as far as the steps to take? By the time people are working their way through the divorce, they're realizing they're going to have to split their assets. And this is really where a financial planner can really help you. And as a CDFA, what I do is kind of a supersized CFP that focuses on the after impact. I mean, I, I know how to split that pension, what the tax consequences are, that kind of thing. So it goes a little bit more in depth of splitting assets. We work with attorneys through and then after the process too. What we don't want are people to be surprised to the downside when they take a look at the leftover income, leftover assets, and then they just don't have questions answered like, when can I retire? So engaging a financial planner toward the beginning of that process, like after you've been served, is really important. 
important. Talking about the gray divorce, Deanne Phillips, part of the team at Annex Wealth Management, Director of Client Learning and Development, a CFP and a CDFA, a Certified Divorce Financial Analyst. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. It is 1050. This is Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, WTMJ. Hey, I want to remind you our next Saving the Family Cottage presentation is Tuesday. I think we've got a little room left. So if you've got a family place, you want to keep it in the family. Maybe this was grandma and grandpa's place and it's going down through generations. There are right and there are wrong ways to do that. We cover them all. It's called Saving the Family Cottage. It happens at our Elm Grove office. Starts at 6 o'clock Tuesday night. Details at AnnexWealth.com. Just click the Events tab. That's where all of our stuff is listed because we do a bunch. Now we're coming out of summer. We're getting a little bit more busy with events. Again, Saving the Family Cottage in our Elm Grove office on Tuesday. Details at AnnexWealth.com. W277CV and WTMJ Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ. Team, tech, trust, and a fee-only fiduciary model that works in your best interest. Can your advisor say that? This is Money Talk on WTMJ. It's Money Talk Annex Wealth Management, Saturday, August 17th. We're at Barron's Top Advisor, also on the Financial Times Top 300 list for a fourth time. We always say, Dave, you know, it's pretty humbling stuff is when we get included in these lists because our information is out there. So some of these agencies like Barron's or like the Financial Times, they'll look at our information compared to others. You know, they'll look at the growth of the firm and and other factors that are going on there. But your regulatory record, how you treat your clients, the way that you're structured, are you a fiduciary? All those things go into it. And then they come up with these short lists. And we're we're very humbled to be included on those lists. Yeah, there's there's no question. But, you know, I think about, uh, you know, trying to to deliver the message. And Danny, I'm not sure that everyone knows that you're an employee of Annex Wealth Management throughout the week. And so we have our marketing meetings and and a lot of things that we talk about is know the difference. And and we want people, we've trademarked that, we want people to know the difference. And we talk about that a lot. Well, there was something this week that we saw that uh, the SEC chairman, uh, we, we didn't pay him to say that. He did a nice job on that. I mean, well, first off, he's a Clayton. So, so yeah, he, exactly. better, he better be good. But, yeah, you sent me the link on Friday, and I watched it. It was good. They really do seem to be making the effort. I still think that they put a lot of the onus on the consumer, which is what we like as well. Listen, you got to ask those questions. Are you a fiduciary? How is your, how is your compensation? So I don't think the video totally covered it but it was it was good but it's important and we've been talking about this for what three four years now well i think it's a start you know because we're big on education and that's why we're doing money talk now for all these years is to try to educate our listeners on on the differences so that they can make informed decisions we don't advocate for this is right or this is wrong and that video doesn't do it either it's just know the difference between how a broker works and how an investment advisor works and that's the title of this video if you want to go out and find it it's brokers and investment advisors how they get paid. And for a lot of people, Dave, that's the question that they get to is, what's our relationship going to be like? How do you get paid? Where are your conflicts of interest? And when you start to shine a light on this kind of stuff, it really helps to inform the investor and they make better decisions. And they do. But the the facts of the matter is we talk about this a lot because, you know, we get people come in, as you well know, through our all of our branches on a daily basis, and they go, my guy, my guy says right. he acts in my best interest, and, and I'm sure they do. I'm sure they say that. I'm sure they, they probably are even attempting to do that, uh, operate under the best interest. But the, the fiduciary standard 
is a totally different standard altogether. It's a written standard. We've put it in our contract. We certainly have. And I think that there was probably more clarity on this topic. Ten years ago, it seemed like people at least got it, you know, that there was a difference between brokers and investment advisors. And the brokers that have tried to put on the coat of being a fiduciary by saying, yeah, I'll act in your best interest, it's caused more confusion than it has clarity. And and that's the problem for people is to try to get to the questions. So this video that the SEC chairman put out is an attempt to try to give us more clarity as consumers, as investors. What's the difference between these? I, I think it's healthy. We think it's really important that people understand the differences because then you can make informed choices. But to your point is when you are trying to hire somebody, you can hire a broker that's going to earn a commission when they sell you something, or you can hire an investment advisor who's a fiduciary who has an ongoing legal obligation to act in your best interest at all times and to eliminate or mitigate those conflicts of interest. Salespeople don't have those obligations. What we're trying to get to is an understanding of what a fiduciary is. And to your point again, is getting somebody who's going to commit to putting that standard of care in writing to you and then to act in that best interest at all times. And if you're not sure, we've created a list. It's a checklist and the Know the Difference checklist that you can get on our website and go right down that list and make sure that you can answer all those questions. But really quickly, Mark, you know, just the top three or four reasons that you want to look at. Yeah, and Know the Difference is as much a challenge as anything. It's to, you know, people who are listening this morning is do you know the difference? And that checklist is a good way to look at your existing relationship and say, can I check the box on each of these. It's about fee only. You know, are you earning commissions when you're selling me product? It's about proprietary products. It's about national recognition. It's about being a fiduciary at all times and and having that commitment in writing. Those are the things. But to your point, if you want to get that list, if you want to go out and say, can I check the box with my broker on each one of these things, or is there a better opportunity for me out there, go to our website and get that checklist and start that analysis today. Advice and opinions expressed during Money Talk are solely that of the hosts or guests of Annex Wealth Management and not WTMJ Radio or Good Karma Brands Milwaukee, LLC.